What's going on, Trophy Kids? It is the college episode. We are talking about conference championship weekend, one of the best weekends in all of sports. Uh, we're also breaking down the new coaching hires across the country. Spence is a good week for coaches. Let's go. Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is December 3rd. We are back for the college episode. It is championship weekend. I am very excited. As always, I am joined by Dante. No Tim today. He is feeling a little under the weather, so we wish him well. But we are here to talk some college football. How are we doing today, good sir? We are doing well. It is time to watch college football starting tomorrow. Or starting today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Technically today. Recording it Thursday, but yes. (laughs) Always fun to do that math in your head as you're saying things. Um before we talk about the games, we're going to break down all the big conference championship games, give our takes. I'm going to give out some picks. Um, we got some things to talk about because the college football world is on fire with coaching hires. Honestly, I am excited for the three marquee hires that have happened. Billy Napier at Florida. Yeah, I get that's a marquee. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about Lincoln Riley heading to USC, Brian Kellen he- heading to LSU, and Marcus Freeman being hired at Notre Dame, which sets up some awesome storylines for college football going into the future. Very excited for all those hires. I think all those hires, really, I think the ADs nailed all of those hires across the board. They're perfect fits, I think. Well, not perfect fits. Brian Kelly, I wouldn't say a perfect fit there, but I really like the hires. I'm very excited for what's going to happen in college football here. What is your feelings going into this? If you are leaving your job and you have um, people who report to you or you are in charge of a team, do not leave your job the way that Brian Kelly left his. That is it's got a track record with it. Loves to just do the Irish goodbye almost. But did yeah. you see the video of him giving the speech? Because it leaked. Yes. Real yes. like divorced dad. I'm leaving you and your mother for a younger woman across the country vibes. I mean, he should have just said that. <laughs> he should have just said, "Hey, I have a better chance of winning a college football championship at LSU." I'm done with the Notre Dame academic standards. Correct. And the new playoff format that potentially will be coming to the foot. Like, he he saw the writing on the wall. He saw, one, I have, uh, it's it's incredibly hard. I've kind of maxed out the potential here with the restrictions. But two, if we change to this new format and only conference champions are getting buys, that buy is incredibly important. And they're not going to be eligible for that as an independent. We'll see. I mean, I still think that because college football is such a game steeped in tradition that they will find a way to put in a good Notre Dame team. If oh, Notre Dame it. is good. Yeah. It's just that but buy like, is hard to get up yeah, past. Yeah, that is hard. I think for your, your group of six, um, it does become a little – it can be a little more challenging. Yes. I like the Freeman hire at Notre Dame. Let's start there because yes. I think that's the, the least um, – maybe impactful right away as far as like grabbing headline statements, but a very interesting hire. I tweeted it as high risk, high reward. 
Um, I think it's a very good hire. I think this is very similar to Urban Meyer kind of handing it off to Brian Day in the sense that you have a guy. The the high risk comes from the fact that he's never been a hood coach anywhere. He's taking over a marquee program. And that is risky because you don't know how that transition is going to go. But I have a lot of faith in the guy because he's shown that he's a very good recruiter. He's a top-notch coordinator. The players love him. He's also getting handed the keys to a machine that is well-oiled. It is at the. It's performing at its peak right now. He's not having to rebuild the program. Then I'd have a lot more concerns if he was rebuilding it. So he's kind right. of taking right over like Brian Day did. And the high reward aspect is is if this hits, this you're not competing. Like if he were to go somewhere else and get a coaching job at a lesser school, that's a stepping stone. And then you wanted to go hire him. You're competing with all these other schools also trying to get him. You're a marquee. There's not many better jobs out there. So you've landed a young coach that if he hits right off the bat, you have got him locked in for a long time. So it's a, I like the situation going in there at Notre Dame. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't go after Luke Fickle. I'm surprised they didn't go after a few other coaches who you would think Notre Dame would try to attract to South Bend. Now, that doesn't take anything away from Mar- or Marcus Freeman. I honestly think this is a good move. Um, and sets a good example for other um, programs who should just hire from within and not you also you're also not ponying up the bags that have been yep. uh, thrown around the college football world. I mean, my school included included. Um, so there's that. The other thing about Freeman that I think is being overlooked is not a lot of that staff is traveling or going with Brian Kelly to yes. LSU. So like you said, where he's in a position where I I don't need to rebuild and I don't actually have to move too many things around. I just need to step up my position and take over more, more than just the defense. And honestly, this is college football. He could honestly not look at offense, just recruit for offense and let someone else call the plays, which is what I think was happening at uh, Notre Dame anyway. Correct. I think that's the formula because Tommy Reese stays. So I think that that's going to be it. He's going to he's going to oversee things and focus on the defense and kind of let Reese do his thing offensively, which is yep. a great recipe. And it's I I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, yeah, it sucks losing Brian Kelly, the most winningest coach in Notre Dame history, a guy who brought this program back from the depths and really they brought it went to a national championship, playoff appearance, really made Notre Dame football once again in the top tier of college football and that's the kind of where I like this because it's not a rebuilding situation like you said you don't have a ton of staff turnover the familiarity is all there it's now just kind of making sure the product doesn't slide and improving upon it as you're going to which I think everything's in place for success there and so yeah I I like the move we'll see if it pays out but I I think it's a good move off the bat yeah the other thing that you're saying too here is that if Marcus Freeman um, hits, if, if he ends up being a, a, he doesn't even have to be like a great coach, just a decent one. Um, Notre Dame's AD and athletic staff looks like geniuses. Yeah. Geniuses. And he's locked in for a long time. Cause like I said, there aren't that many 30, jobs. Yeah. Yeah, you don't 35. leave. And yeah, and Notre Dame has the benefit as a private institution. They do not have to disclose 
their payments and therefore, you know, can juice it a little bit more too on the back end of contracts and things like that. Um, yeah. Which is nice because, I mean, hell, Charlie Weiss is still getting payments from the University of Notre Dame probably, which I saw a lot of people making comparisons because it was the last time Notre Dame hired a coach without I, head coaching I, I experience. I that's a fair comparison. It's not at all because Charlie Weiss was, one, coming from the NFL, but two, had to rebuild the program entirely. The, the situation is much better. Think of this like in, an Urban Meyer handing it off today. It's very similar in that fact where you have a built brand, a built program, the pipeline is well-oiled, you're just handing it off, and now he's got to go out and perform well as a head coach, but he's not set up for failure. He's set up for success right off the bat. Yeah, I think. Did you see that picture? I I think it was uh, uh, Brent Pry getting off the plane for Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech. No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> I saw someone tweet like, "This is the most Virginia picture I've ever seen." <laughs> That's funny. I gotta look that up. Um, but the other two big hires: Lincoln Riley heading to USC, yeah. Brian Kelly held to SU. Yeah. My initial read off this: Lincoln Riley's gonna have USC on top again way quicker than people think, and Brian Kelly is going to be well within shooting distance of a national championship and is probably going to win one at LSU because he is a top-tier coach at a top-tier program that churns out champions, and Lincoln Riley is going to recruit the state of California extremely well. He is the perfect hire for Oklahoma, for USC. That is my first initial take. What are you making of these hires? I think Lincoln Riley saw the writing on the wall with the move to the SEC. I think that he also saw that here you have a USC program that has underperformed in the last almost decade. Yeah, really? <laughs> and he is already taking recruits that um, were um, supposed to come to Oklahoma or, you know, likely to come to Oklahoma and are probably likely leaning USC. I don't honestly I don't think there's a lot of recruiting that he needs to do. I think his his brand name is going I think the USC brand name and then Lincoln Riley's brand name yep. is going to help USC. I think the other thing Lincoln Riley needs to watch out for is like he can't go six and six next year. No. He can't no. Yeah. He ha- it has to be immediate success. I think it's similar for Brian Kelly, but they may LSU may give Brian Kelly a year. They'll give him some time, yeah. And yeah. I and I think Lincoln Riley have a little time because of the brand name, but I think Lincoln Riley is the perfect hire for USC. I didn't think that he would be gettable, but first of all, Lincoln Riley seems like a bit of a coward, but a very smart person because he does not want any business playing in the SEC West no, in that conference at Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma has any business, no. period. Which is fine. SEC, but that's a, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But he saw that. <laughs> And he saw a USC situation where if you work at USC, you are on top of the world. They are, you are in a recruit-rich state. The quarterback play there alone can win you an enormous amount of game as long as you keep it in there. It is a dormant program that has all the resources in the world that just needs to be woken up because outside of, you know, west of Texas, Oregon's your only natural competition up there. And now that USC has a guy who can recruit, who can coach the quarterback position, who has innovative offenses... They are now not top alpha dog in that corridor. And this is a hugely big hire for USC. Um, and I think he's going to have them on top way quicker than people think. I think this USC program will be back competing 
within three years. Um, probably sooner, but yeah, I think that's the perfect, perfect hire at USC for a program that has struggled to keep in-state talent in-state. <laughs> yeah, that's the, I think for the Pac-12, right, this is a slam dunk hire for you. You get the name, you get the, uh, wait, also you said only Oregon, I mean, you can't discount Washington. They're not really competing for top brand recruits though right now. No, 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 but that's what and, I'm saying, recruiting-wise. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. talking about just recruiting-wise, though. Like, you know, Oregon's been coming down and raiding the state of California. I mean, it's got to the point where now Cristobal's being rumored to head to Miami, back to his I roots. Know, I saw and that. I think I think that is in correlation to Lincoln Riley coming in and him also seeing the writing on the wall that, like, oh, my job just got a lot harder to recruit at Oregon on the West Coast and play in the Pac-12. Let's go to Miami. Speaking of Miami, do you think, that move lane is going to make that move i hope so we want it so bad here i want lane in south bend so bad please please football gods (laughs) yes lane to miami oh my oh my goodness it would be great um what was that i I lost my train of thought about the usc recruit oh do you think that spencer rattler where you think he's gonna end up oh that's a good question i don't know um it's a good question. Fresno State's quarterbacks also entered the transportal, transfer portal, which hurts Spencer Rattler's stock. Um, yeah. If I I'm Rick Lincoln Riley, I stay far away from Spencer Rattler. Oh, yeah. I think you're trying to convince Caleb Williams to come with you to USC is what I think you're trying yeah. to do. Um, <laughs> you... It's 100% what you try to do. Or you try to target, uh, well, I think Fresno State's quarterback's from Washington, and he wants to go home. So there's your Washington link. Um or at least Washington State. Um, yeah, I don't know where Spencer Rattler goes. I don't know what the market's going to look like for him. I mean, somebody's going to pick him up, but I, I don't oh, yeah. know where what that market looks like because he looked so bad. He may this do year. The, the you know he may do like a Texas Tech or like something like that. Some like not super small school, but not like super. Well, he's from Las Vegas, so he they, you know. Oh yeah, he could. no, that would that would really hurt his brand. Would I mean, yeah, I'm just yeah. thinking he might move closer. You know, I don't know what that is. is Texas yeah. cloak. I I'm not. This what, is not what, going to turn into a geometry class because I'm about to make a fool of myself. I was about right. to be like, is Texas Tech what does closer? LSU's quarterback situation look like? Could he could he go down to Louisiana? No, nah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think that would work for him. I what year is Johnson? I actually don't know what year he is off the top of my head. Max Johnson. Um, he's a sophomore. Yeah, he'll probably still be there. Oh, yeah, he'll stay there. Yeah. Uh, Never mind him. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. And then Lane, perfect thing right there. I almost said Lane Kiffin. Um, Brian Kelly to LSU. I think, you know, you went out, you got yourself a top-tier elite coach. Yes, Brian Kelly is elite. You know, last four mm-hmm. years, Notre Dame, 44-4. and four. Been to a national championship with Notre Dame. Been to a playoff game. Yeah, they got blown out of the water, but that is just... I mean, plain and simple, the type of athlete that he's been able to recruit at Notre Dame is slightly different than what Alabama has been able to recruit. Not that the players at Notre Dame are bad. Obviously, they have great players. They have guys that are going to play on Sunday. But there is a difference um, in the type of talent you can bring in. Um, And so, yeah, he he got the most out of the production of Notre Dame. I kind of want Notre Dame just to run the table now at this point because that would be hilarious. (laughs) But I do think he's going to find a lot of success at LSU. Because the man, say what you will about him, say what you will about his character, whatever, he can coach some football. Yeah, I think LSU saw like, hey, we had Ed Ogeron in here, and he did. He won a national championship with 
I'm not gonna say little to no effort, but I almost want to say little. <laughs> like he's not. A, I mean, I love I love Coach Ogeron, but like he's not like. I think it's fair to say he's not a top tier coach. Coach, he's a he's a right. CEO. He oversees the organization. So, what can Brian Kelly do with those same resources, right? <sighs> what can someone who can actually coach in high pressure situations can hire the right people to recruit? I don't think Brian Kelly is a super recruiter, but he hires, you know, he puts people yeah. in the right positions. I mean, he's one everywhere he's gone to, which is the other thing. Yes. And who can handle the pressure of the winning, the, the, the blood lust of wanting to win at LSU is per- Brian Kelly is the, the perfect fit there. I think that you will have three teams in if not next year, definitely the year after next in the SEC, who are just head and shoulders above not only their competition in the SEC, but the rest of the college football world. And then this is going to bring us to our conversation of we have to expand the playoffs or we're going to end up with three SEC teams <laughs> in the playoffs. Dude, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be crazy, especially if you can get it going. Because, yeah, I, I do think, like you said, with the resources that they provide – it is one of those things that, like, you saw it when Nick Saban was the coach down at LSU and what he could do down there. Um, so, and Les Miles, to an effect, there as well. Like, it's just you have no natural yeah. in-state rivals for the in-state talent. LSU is a, every kid, every school in L- Louisiana has the LSU colors going. It is where you're going to school. You have no natural competitors in the state. You have unlimited resources there. Um, yeah, it's it's... Like we said, it's a top five job. I argue it's a top three job in the country. And Brian Kelly has won everywhere he's gone. He knows how to coach football. Yeah, it's just, it's a great fit. And he knows what's it, what it's like to deal with an alumni base that sometimes has unrealistic expectations because he did it at Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre Dame, yeah. Yeah. So, of course. yeah. Can we talk about a crazy one that just, I don't really know what happened and maybe I'm just not, you know, privy to everything that happens in Texas. So Sonny Dykes is out at SMU, but he's going to coach uh, TCU, which I'm just like, what's happening? (laughs) TCU, I I mean, for a while there, they were a legit, decent program. I mean, Patterson, or not Patterson. um, Oh my God, now I'm blanking on his. Patterson. Yeah, did a great job there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's a one you're moving up because SMU, SMU yeah. is in the AAC. You're moving into the Big 12. TCU's got some resources. They've had great players go through their campus um, at various times. There's an ability to, you know, it, it's definitely a step up. But, yeah, it's an interesting move, to say the least. It's, yeah, it was so interesting. Then they bring back uh, um, their offensive coordinator to coach at SMU. It, that, that, you're talking about a coaching carousel. Whatever's happening in Texas, that's a carousel. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like what happens in, like, MAC teams to, like, other yes. schools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the recycling of that and the secular nature of it. Yeah, 100% agree. All righty. I feel like we've done enough on the coaching scheme. Let's talk about yeah. some games. First yeah. off, Friday night, Oregon, Utah, minus two and a half. Utah is the favorite. Over under is 57 and a half. This game is interesting. As people should know, I did 
before the season started, said Utah will win the Pac-12, take a future out. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to bet on Utah given I have that future. If anything, I'd hedge on Oregon. But I'm going to talk about it from their perspective. Had I not had that future out, um, what we're looking at here. What are your initial takes on this game right off the bat? I don't understand how it's not a repeat of what already happened. I think there's two things. Well, there's three three things. First, not home field advantage. So, and that's a huge one at Utah. Utah has an enormous, one of the best home field advantages in the country. Second, the altitude I think played a little bit of a role. Mm, okay. The third one, which is the one that is is, it's hard to figure out what what we're gonna get, and that is the production from Anthony Brown, who was horrendous in yes. the Utah game. <laughs> But last week against Oregon State looked like a quarterback I have not seen this year from him. He was pinpointed methodical last week against Oregon State. Very good production. So does he have that? Because I would imagine the game plan is the same for Utah. Load the heavy box. Make sure Oregon can't run because they do, as we pointed out. You know, we covered this game in depth, so if you heard it, I pointed out the stats about how the Utah team plays on the other side of the ball. They get great penetration. One of the best teams um, leading the the college football in tackles for loss. Not number one, but they're up there. Um, So that is going to be the game plan and make Brown beat you through the air. And he has not really been able to do that. It's been very inconsistent. But last week looked fantastic. So does that carry over to this week? And does that revenge factor because they got their barn doors blown off by Utah play into this is essentially what I think makes it a little bit different and makes it a little bit harder for this game. But outside yeah, of that, nothing's I, changed. <laughs> I don't know. Like Tavion Thomas kind of just ran all over Oregon. Right. And unless they are, well, I think they're going to be singularly focused on him. Right. If you're right. Oregon. Yeah. But you still have to make the tackle. You still have to, stop him from, you know, yards after or like after he breaks through, you have to actually bring him down even if he picks up a first or even if he and I right. I don't know. Oregon's defense is hot and cold. Um so Yeah, I mean they just I, ran away from Thibodeau last game and then you can't like you have the best pass rusher, you know, some people say it's Hutchinson on Michigan. Some will say it's Thibodeau. I like Thibodeau a little bit, but they're 1A, 1B. I don't, it's not worth even arguing about because right. I don't care who you like better. Sure, that one works. Uh, but they essentially just ran away from him and Oregon couldn't stop it. And that was the game plan. I would assume, like you that said, the that's the game plan this time. Yeah. And the thing is, like, rising, Cam Rising, the quarterback, can beat them if you, you try to do that. The question is, can Anthony Brown do it, who went 23 for 28? 275 yards with two touchdowns last week and was really good. And that's the part that's making this a little bit more wrinkly for me. Like, I like Utah. I have the future out on Utah. It doesn't really make sense for me to double down on that. At two and a half, I like that. But it it makes it hard because I can see, you know, if we get that production from Anthony Brown, well, this changes the dynamic completely because now you have to respect the pass and Oregon might be able to run the ball a little bit more and that changes the dynamic. Yeah, the other thing that the U's have that I think... I think this year running backs in this position have um, made themselves known in college football, the tight ends. Utah is not afraid to use those tight ends. Yep. And if I remember correctly in that game against Oregon, Oregon didn't have an answer for when they did those short dump off passes. To yep. the they didn't have an answer for a lot. They got, like <laughs> I said, the barn doors blown 
off them. So if it's not Tavion Thomas, you know, just getting the ball and pushing through their defensive line, then it's, you know, dumping the ball off to a tight end and getting yards after they catch. I don't know. I, I guess I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong. I've been wrong a lot on this podcast, but I just feel like the Utes have this. Yeah, I I think like I said, the, there was kind of three wrinkles in there. You know, the home losing the home field advantage. At best, you're going to get a fifty fifty split. I, I I don't know if it will be a true fifty fifty split. It's a Friday game, the Pac twelve championship game because it's that five or it's Friday at eight. Generally, isn't like packed. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's tough, but we'll see. I, I like I said, I like the Utes, but it's it's a weird one for sure. All right, Baylor, Oklahoma State. This number, it's at five and a half right now. Oklahoma State minus five and a half. Over under is 46 and a half. What do you have on this game, or what are your initial kind of feelings on this one? Is it fair to say, like, this is the game where I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen in this game? It's a fair take. <laughs> Most people sort of have that. I think a lot of people, there are some people that are very confident in this game that I've been seeing, but a lot of them are like, oh. It, that's sort of why they're favoring Baylor too. F- f- a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I did. I you know to admit to to be you know completely transparent. I didn't watch enough of Baylor football to tell you like, oh, they're weak here. They're weak. Like other than like when we we featured them because they were the featured game of the week. But other than that, like I can't tell you how they're going to perform in this game. And Oklahoma State seems to be a team that gets up for big games, but. Yes. That's you can't continue to play like that. That luck runs out on you. Yes, and they got some luck and some breaks last weekend exactly. um, in the Oklahoma game, 100%. And that's something we'll talk about in the Iowa-Michigan game here in a little bit. But, yeah, this is an interesting one. I mean, there's some concerns health-wise. There's some question marks as to the quarterback situation for Baylor right now. Yes. Dave Miranda, though, the head coach, does a great job scheming things up defensively. There are some holes there, but, you know... I also look at Oklahoma State. We know what their defense is. It's very good. Um, yeah. And and they play... They have been playing... This is the best team they've had in years. The problem is the 5.5 number. I kind of like Baylor's stick in that because I think this is going to be kind of a messy, muck-it-up game. And I think the emotions are rolling high. It's, it's a hard thing to quantify, but with kids in college, when you come off a big emotional win against your rival, which we'll talk again about once again with Michigan and Iowa in a little bit, what does that energy look like coming into this game? Can you snap back and refocus and give the same effort right off the bat? Um, so I, I do like Baylor here at plus 5.5. I don't think they're going to win the game, but I see this game at a field goal, essentially. I, I, this feels like a field goal game to me. I like I think Dave Morandis is going to put some things together for this Baylor defense to cover some of the holes they have um, due to injuries and, and other things. And I think this is going to be a very close game. I think, And, and that's kind of what I'm going for here. I, I, the other thing about this, and I think we have to take into consideration, this is more on the head coaches than it is. Um, the players themselves, but these two programs now, whoever does this, and I guess I'm specifically thinking about Baylor in this instance, is you get to become the big dog in the Big 12, right? Yeah. And or it could be Oklahoma State, although I'm not sure the Big 12 wants Oklahoma State to be the <laughs> the marquee program. I mean. Oak, or the Big 12 is kind of sitting pretty. This is a little off topic because right now they have two incoming teams in UC who should make the playoff and BYU who just literally tore through the entire Pac-12. 
like literally just tore through it. Like they ragged all the back part of the Yeah. yeah. So and yeah. you have your premier school in Oklahoma losing its coach and going in blind essentially, and Texas who's just a hot mess right now. I do think Stark's going to be okay there, but it's just a hot mess right now. So yeah, you know they're they're adding some decent decent programs right now to say the least. Yeah, man. The over under in this game is forty six and a half. Yes, it's Ooh. good. It's gonna be interesting, but like I, I know, I'm, I'm gonna stop talking about this. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I say, Oklahoma State is tied for first in the country for tackles per loss, uh, or tackles for loss on defense. This team gets up field. Like I said, I think this is gonna be a very kind of muck it up, dangerous game, and I think it's gonna be low scoring, and I do think it'll be kind of within a field goal. So. I, I lean Baylor here um, at the five and a half spot. I, I think it's a little too many points, but we'll see. Okay. Let's talk about a premier game. Yes. Georgia, Alabama. The line is at six and a half. Over under is 49 and a half. What do we make of this game? I have lots of opinions on this, but what do we make of this game? Um, for the first time since like 2014, Alabama is in favorite, which yeah. scares me. Because even when Alabama is like quote unquote bad, people still put all their faith in them. And yeah. so to see them come in like this is interesting. Also, what the hell happened in that Auburn game in the Iron oh, Bowl? Dude. Right? Just. And you know, as you pointed out or as you alluded to earlier, and we will talk about this in the Iowa Michigan game too. Does that hangover come into this game? I think a little bit. I, I think for this game, there's a couple things. I am surprised this spread is at six and a half. I thought it would be higher. I make this game higher. Now, I said that last week against Ohio State, and oh, man, was I wrong. But um, that what talk about just the way you don't want to end up. I need to change up some things gambling-wise because it's, it's been a rough year to say the least, which is not something that over the last couple years – I have performed at a, a nice level, a fun level. Everybody's been enjoying it. This year has been a disaster. About 50-50, literally 50-50 in college football. Um, rough, absolutely rough. But I didn't make, the, I, I am surprised this game is so low because there's a couple things. Alabama, you know, we talk about that Iron Ball game, struggled with a team on their backup quarterback, a team that honestly, without a blunder from time management standpoint, should have won that game. Should have won that game. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> Alabama should be looking at two losses. This is an Alabama team that offensive line is a mess. Georgia, that is really where this game is won, and by a lot, I think, is because the disproportional advantage that Georgia has in the trenches is exponential. Yeah. The Georgia defensive line and linebackers should absolutely feast in this game because Alabama's offensive line has been a mess. And this is something we've been talking about for weeks now. You know, we've been talking about this since the Florida game. When I, we went into Florida and I said, watch this offensive line because this, is, this isn't the best defensive line they're going to play all season, but this is going to give us a test in how they play. And they didn't play great. And then it's progressively gotten worse. Now, some of that's due to injuries, but it's just not very good. And then you look on the defensive side, this is a defense that can get got in the secondary. And you're going against a quarterback in Stenson Bennett that is second in the country in, I think, yards um, per attempt, second in the country in adjusted yards per attempt. This is a team, it, it's on Georgia just not to be Georgia. 
And what I mean by that, it's on Georgia not to have Bubble Boy Smart come out and play super conservative. They need to come out with the same mentality they've been coming out, which is our dudes are better than your dudes on defense, and we're just going to beat you over the head with it. And then on offense, take some chances, take some risks, don't get ultra conservative, and you should win this game, I think, handedly, to be quite honest. Yeah, the only way for Alabama to win is to attack Georgia where they're a little weak. And when I'm saying they're a little weak, I mean, it's minute because they're actually pretty strong here. And that's through the air, attack Georgia secondary. And again, their cornerbacks aren't bad. They're just not as good as the offensive line. Their defensive line is insane, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, their defensive line, yeah. So it's like, you know, pick your poison, but you're not going to beat Georgia on the ground. Secondly, two elite units. I mean, two elite units. Now, there are some questions to your point. What offenses have you played that really pushed you? You got Tennessee in there that played really well. They The secondary played really well against them. But, yeah, the strength of schedule is passing off. This has been great to test that secondary. But, yeah, I mean, two elite units. Pick your poison, like you said. Yeah. The other thing is Alabama's running back room has been decimated by injuries, too. So you don't really even have that option, at least not in my book about beating George on the ground. Also, you should never even try to beat George on the ground, but we've seen Nick Saban do things before, do crazy things before. Now, I will say the poison for Georgia here is similar to what happened to them in the, what was that, like 2014 or 2015 playoff when they were up uh, 2017, I'm sorry. Do not take your foot off the gas. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Because Nick Saban, time and time again, he has shown he will pull out something kind of like Tom Izzo, where for these games, there's a different playbook that comes out, regardless of who's on the field. These plays will come out and he will, you know, show you why he is the mark, the the marquee coach in college football. Um, But I'm saying all that to say, I I don't think Alabama has a chance here. Yeah, no, I, 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 I. I don't either. I think Bryce Young is going to be running for his life. Uh, and he's made some great plays by extending the ball. I just I think that the Alabama offensive weapons, Menchie's really good, obviously, but you know, the deep threat got banged up last week and was out. Or not out, sorry, he didn't get banged up. Got a targeting call. Um the wide receiving core isn't exactly what it's been in years past. It's still good. Every school in the nation would pretty much you know, outside of Ohio State, probably trade for it. But it's not what it used to be. Um, yeah, I just, I think we're trying to make more of this. This is don't overthink it. Like, just yeah. don't overthink it. If if somehow Alabama covers this number, I, I'll be happy with having a Georgia ticket in that case. I am not, I do not want to be holding that Alabama ticket and them just get ragdolled like I think they're going to. So. Yeah. I don't know. There's definitely a potential for Alabama to get blown out here. But there's definitely a potential just because of the type, the nature of the game. Yeah, and the nature, and the historic nature of Kirby Smart to just be super conservative in places yeah. he shouldn't be, and that's really the concern. If he gets super conservative, then we're gonna have ourselves a ball game. But if they just go out and they're just like we're the better team, they Todd Munkin's allowed to do his thing on offense, which I think he's been holding some things back. He's yeah. allowed to do his thing offensively. You just let him run the show, and defensively, you just line up. We got the better dudes. We're gonna beat you with that in our speed, and you just go. Because they did have that crazy Kentucky game. Yeah. It, it, so. Yeah, where they backdoor covered up. What? Don't even oh get me started my, on that. I could have won so much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't overthink it. I'm taking Georgia. Yeah, take Georgia. All right. 
Houston, oh. Cincinnati. Line is 10 and a half. Cincinnati's favorite. Over under 52 and a half. I have been on Cincinnati since the very beginning. I've been saying week in and week out they are going to make the playoffs. They are going to win this game. They are going to make the playoffs. But covering the number, I don't know I could make a case for Houston, but I will let you go first before I vomit my UC love at for football right now at this point in time, which I have a Z- I know I'm wearing a Xavier sweatshirt. I don't have a football team. I don't have an alliance. I have an alliance to just teams that deserve to be in, being in, and rooting for the team to have difference in our college playoffs this year and for a group of five to get in finally. So, yeah, when college football is over, then you'll hear Tim and Nate just talk about Cincinnati like it's the worst thing to come out of the state of Ohio. Ohio. Um, But football is a totally different thing. I I don't understand it. I don't get it. It would be like me praising Michigan basketball. I'm just not. So, But anyway, (laughs) um, I'm going to take a – page out of your book nate the cougars rank number six in total defense and number eight in rushing defense that rushing defense number and ranking number eight is very impressive yes it but is. i also think besides notre dame when has cincinnati played a team that may pose a legitimate threat to their rushing game. Uh, it's a good uh, That's the side of the ball, which is why I think they can probably cover this number. It's the reason I covered, uh, I tease UC down this week. Offensively, UC is going to have a test this week. 100% agree. UC's offense, Ritter has been sporadic this year. There are times where he's looked really good. There are some times where he has not. Outside of Ford... And I'm blanking on his name. It starts with a P, the wide receiver, number 12. There's not a ton of elite talent on UC's offense. That is where they could struggle. Mm-hmm. The problem is when we flip this equation <laughs> right. is where UC where, really starts to control that. Um, and where is Houston Alec Pierce. going to get, uh, where is Houston going to manufacture points? Correct, because that is a legitimate concern. You see people, this is the thing, this is what makes them different than the UFC, or the UCF teams in the past who, one, could only really run the ball offensively. This is what makes them different than other Power 5 teams, is they have multiple guys who are going to be playing on Sunday. They have two elite-level edge rushers in Brooks Sanders and Beaver, but they have a secondary in three guys in Bryant Cook and Sauce Gardner who are fantastic. You cannot pass the ball at the AAC level on this team. And they are beyond good enough to compete against bigger teams. Sauce Gardner, when throwing against Sauce Gardner, quarterbacks have a 20 passer rating. He has never given up a touchdown in his career. Between Bryant Cook and Sauce Gardner, they have seven interceptions and only two touchdowns allowed. Quarterbacks thrown against those three guys have completed less than 50% of their passes. You can't pass the ball on them. So, and in the AAC, that's how most offenses get going. That's how Houston's going to have to get going a little bit. They will be able to run the ball a little bit, but they're going to have to get the passing game going. I just don't know how they do it. They have one guy, and he can be locked down by Sauce Gardner. I, I, I just don't see how they 
they can move the ball against this UC defense. And that's why I think UC wins the game because they'll have a little bit more success offensively against Houston's defense. But I don't know if they're going to cover. I don't think they're going to cover the 10. They might, but I don't feel safe enough doing that. I te- I put it in a teaser and teased it down to four and a half is what I did with it. Yeah. So Houston is better at pass rushing than the team we just talked about, Georgia. Yeah. So... Statistically, I, now obviously, statistically. Yeah, yeah, Georgia has better players. Yeah, yeah. So, I, this is a game where, well, one, it's going to be just a defensive battle, right? Who, or who makes? It's either going to be a defensive battle, who makes the mistake for first, or who special team is who special teams are better. I mean, we cannot take away from Houston the fact that besides Cincinnati, if there was no Cincinnati, right? Houston would be the best team in that conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and and so, outside of a blunder of a game, they'd yeah. be in the conversation for, you know, should they be the team that gets into the playoffs? I mean, they had an absolute blunder but on their schedule. But, yeah, no, it, it's – yeah, they're a very good football team. Now, I will say this. Every time Cincinnati has been – we've been – we've talked about it, although you – have been in Cincinnati's corner the whole time, but let's say the national media, every time national media has talked about will Cincinnati rise to the challenge, they have. And so I don't think that there is any reason to think that they won't rise to the challenge this time. I think they're going to have to do it in a way that has not, that's different than how they've beaten teams in the past. I agree. Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. And you know, this is a team that, yeah, I I just think Cincinnati has kind of got it going. I think, there's a part of them that once they realize that, oh, wait, no, we can actually make the playoffs, they've sort of turned it up. And you've seen that in their last couple games where they've really turned up the volume against ECU and SMU and kind of dialing it up to a different level. We'll see if they can keep it going here. Like I said, the defense is really good. There's some great players there. There's some guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. There's some guys in Riddler's going to be playing on Sunday. We'll see about Ford and Alec Pickin. I think, we, or um, Alec Pierce. I think will will have a shot. So yeah, there's a lot of there's some talent here. Is all I'm going to say. And I I do I like UC to win this game. I like them to get in the playoffs. The, the college football season has sort of played out exactly as we said it would to a point. Now we didn't see Michigan at you know in it and things like that. But we we saw that there was going to be absolute chaos this year. This was the year that a team like UC could get in, and they're finally going to get in this year. As long as they don't mess it up here. <laughs> Anything else yeah. before we move on? No, I think you. I think Cincinnati is who you should be putting your money on here. Yep. And uh, keep it moving. <laughs> all righty. Big Ten game. Michigan, <sighs> Iowa. Line is at ten and a half. Michigan, stand up. What a game. I mean, I lost some money, but I have got to give applause. Not only did you show up and prove virtually every single person wrong, including myself. Including me. But you not only won the battle in trenches, embarrassingly so, you not only knocked Ohio State down as they tried to get up, knocked them down again and again and again, and basically beat the fight out of them, but Harbaugh actually outcoached Day, which I did not think would be words leaving my mouth ever. I mean, that was one of the most impressive wins I have seen in a long time. Two wins in 20 years, you know, 
celebrate it while you have it. Huge momentum win. But, I mean, really stand up because that team did something. I did not see it coming. I did not see that team playing as well defensively. We had talked about their secondary being a little bit better than I think some people really realize, but they didn't allow anything. Yeah, that they did. But, you know, Vincent Gray had been big on for a couple while here, but I was down on Michigan. I didn't think they had it in them. I thought that their style of football was going to get them killed again this year. But, man, did that offensive line come in and just pulverize them? They just ran the ball whenever they wanted to, limited turnovers, limited the big plays on defense. I mean, just a world-class beating of Ohio State. Michigan came in and said no big plays. And they, to your credit, when we talked about this, they stuck to a plan. And yes. Yeah, they stayed with it and didn't try to change up schemes like they did against Michigan State, which cost them the game. Correct. Uh, they could have, and we've seen Harbaugh do it in the past, but this time, nope, don't limit. Let And they did something that I didn't think Michigan would be able to do. Even when they were up, they didn't try to sell out when Ohio State scored, right? Yes. They, they didn't try to overplay. They didn't panic. Plays. They, did, they nope. didn't panic. They didn't do anything, which I think they did for Michigan State. Like Michigan State is on the, you know, four or five yard line and you're throwing everything you can at just let Michigan State score and you go score. Correct. Which is what they did. Yep. For Ohio State. Hundred percent. So um it was impressive. I can't take away anything from that win. The only thing I will say is that it's a long time coming for Michigan. You have been getting your ass kicked in that yes. game since I was an undergrad in college. So, yeah, I mean, what, two wins in 20 years or something like yeah, that? So, two wins. Yeah. So, but it was about damn time. It's also a lesson in college football with schools that give up, and credit to Hardball, who came back, took a pay cut, said, no, I want to earn this, to schools that bail on their coaches too soon. Now, we'll see what plays, but they stuck with them through a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. But they stuck with him, and he finally broke through. And he's got a team in position to not only make the college football playoff, but get a favorable first-round matchup and play and compete for a national championship. That is something to be proud of, I think. In today's day and age where coaches are getting fired within a year or two without ever really getting— seasons. Yeah, without really getting to build a program. Like, this was a team that was winning a lot of games, was— in the national spotlight, but couldn't beat Ohio State. Struggled against their rivals. Still struggled against Michigan State this year, but they got over the hurdle and they're in good position. And you got to give credit to Michigan there. My only concern with Harbaugh beating Ohio State. It, look, my team's already been to the college football playoffs. My team has won the Big Ten championship twice. I don't. We don't need to do that. We're, we'll talk about that when we talk about Iowa. My only concern is that the narrative around Harbaugh and his rivals will now change. <clears throat> and it will no longer be that you're three and whatever against your rivals or, you know, it will now be that you're one and one against your rivals. That and I, I cannot accept that. I don't think that'll happen. That. I do think there's a conversation, a legit conversation around are the tides changing because they do have a young quarterback in JJ that we know about in a team. We'll see, but are the tides maybe changing? I don't know if I'm going to go that far. I would like to see another losing year of it. Michigan, yeah. though, is losing a lot next year. I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, they're losing <laughs> a lot, but th- they are gaining a new young quarterback who's shown flashes of some real, oh, we got something here. So we'll see. But we'll see. The enjoy thing, the though, moment. Enjoy the moment. Yeah, enjoy the moment. The other thing, though, and because I've been on the receiving end of this, I think teams are going to figure out Michigan next year. 
We'll see. I mean, the 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 offense has got to, you know, evolve a little bit. Uh, this was a good year to do it. And credit, Ohio State's defensive line is very, very good. The way they bullied them is incredibly impressive. And we talked about the Michigan offensive line in their play, but they really showed up on Saturday. Insanely impressive showing. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, enjoy this year. This is a good year. This, you know, this type of year can help you move into the future. So we'll yeah. see. Now to the Michigan game. has like a, a, a crazy schedule next year too because of a change in games with Ohio State. So I think they end up playing people that they should have played at home on the road. Like we get them, Michigan State gets them back at Spartan Stadium next year. So we'll see if that affects them as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But yeah. let's talk about this game. The line is 10.5, over-unders 43.5. This is a dreadful game. This is gl- glass in the eyeballs for anybody who doesn't like Big Ten football because this so is— everyone will love this game. Yeah, this is tough, Um, mostly because of Iowa. I guess my question is, and it's hard to quantify, but in my mind, Michigan is the better team. They should win this game. But does this game end up being closer than it should be because of the emotional win of last week and maybe coming out a little flat against an Iowa team who seems to have a horseshoe up their ass and just pulls things out out of nowhere? So here's what I am going to say about this game. If Michigan tries to go for big plays, um, Iowa's secondary is deadly at taking the ball away. And I don't know if Michigan has played a defense like that. And yeah. I think that gives Iowa a chance. Now, I don't I don't think Iowa will win this game. I think Michigan will put up a bunch of points on them towards the end of the game, the second half. But I think there's a chance here for a scare. Iowa's defense is needs deserves all the credit. Like outside of a few teams not named Georgia, there's not a lot of schools that wouldn't want Iowa's defense. Yeah, they they've played well. And and this is something though, Iowa has sort of needed to live off those turnovers, though. And that's sort of the problem with Michigan. Or not the problem with Michigan, but the problem with playing Michigan is Michigan doesn't really turn over the ball. It's one of the things that they do very well. Um, One of the many things they're doing very well right now. And so that is the interesting... Like you said, Michigan needs to play within its scheme and continue doing the things that they do well. And they should win this game pretty handedly because Iowa can't run the ball contrary like they can't run the ball this year they're just bad at it normally it's a good team that can run the ball they can't really run the ball the quarterback situation is a mess so defensively there's a big mismatch here so really it's about making sure that you don't do too try to go too much out of what you are good at offensively and you should win this game handedly but if you come out flat if you try to get fancy with it and cute with it this is a team that we've said they got a horseshoe up their ass weird things happen in their games you know, Nebraska should have beat them, but then they ended up being Nebraska. Some things folded their way. This has happened all year. You know, we look at the Penn State game. Sean Clifford gets hurt. They should have lost that game, but Sean Clifford gets hurt. Earlier in the season, the turnover luck, all that. So yeah. as long as you stay within your game, you should win this game. But I have a weird suspicion that this could be close. I don't like it. I did tease this one with UC. And Georgia, I have a teaser with Georgia teasing down to a pick 'em. UC to four and a half, and um, Michigan to four and a half. Love that way better. Don't love the ten because this should be a blowout, or it's going to be way too close, too close for comfort. But Michigan should win this game. Just don't yeah. get too cute with it. Yeah, to your point, like if Iowa can't score on defense, or if Iowa's special team 
special teams, which is another elite unit for Iowa. Yeah. Um, if they can't score or get into good field position, Iowa's offense is non-existent. And but we have seen Iowa teams in the past have terrible offenses and then mess around and put up thirty points for whatever reason. Yeah, the other I thing I think is a though. danger. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't happened this year. The other thing I think is dangerous for Michigan is you are playing for a spot in the CFP. Are you overlooking this? Let's not re- let's remember that Michigan hasn't won a Big Ten championship since 2004. In 2004, I was in middle school. Like yeah. <laughs> so it's a long it's been a long time since they've been here and they haven't like Michigan hasn't been uh, part of this new format ever so yep. it's almost like they've never won a big team <laughs> yeah they've never been in in this format so and yeah. that's something it's unfamiliar territory it Iowa is, has been here now they've lost both yeah. times but yeah there's a lot of things that are hard to quantify that we all as sports fans know that's out there that makes you nervous for a close game the yeah. coming off a huge emotional win where literally your entire season was geared to beating Ohio State. Yeah, sure, you had you had ambitions for a national championship, but like at the start of the season, it was beat Ohio State. From literally the last year, it was beat Ohio State, get over that hump. You put everything in that game. Hutchinson returned to do exactly that and to be different in those things. You win that game. You're coming off that huge emotional win. Now you're in unfamiliar territory. You have the pressure of making the fir- your first college playoff the pressure of actually making it to the national championship game and competing because that is a really realistic shot now that you have all of these things that are hard to kind of quantify into handicapping but we all as sports members of sports media members of watching sports and being fans of sports all know have an effect and can this team overcome that it's what makes you nervous to lay 10 and a half with them yeah but if they can and they can stay focused and they can switch it, man, they should they should really have this game handedly. But those are the things yeah. that make it tough. On a note of, of going to Indy and facing Iowa, Michigan fans, as a Michigan State alum and fan, I know how you guys can be. Iowa fans have been nothing and were nothing but the nicest people to us when we were there in the Big Ten Championship um, a while ago, um, even in the face of defeat. Um, do not be mean to these Iowa fans. Please don't. Just don't Just do nice it. People. They don't deserve it. They're nice yeah. people. Please. They're not coming in thinking they're winning this game. <laughs> like... Yes. Do not be mean. And Iowa fans who are traveling to Indiana. Don't um, take the bait. Don't take the bait. <laughs> don't take the bait, but also don't uh this will be a home game for Michigan, just in case you didn't know. Yeah. I, I oh. hope you're ready for that. Yes, hundred yeah. percent agree. <laughs> yes. All right. Anything else before we move on? Um well, we could talk a little bit about what the hell did Nebraska do? Oh, dude, just they were Nebraska, 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 which really sucked because I bet them on the money line and thought I had a nice win. And then Scott Frost did Scott Frost things. Adrian Martinez also entered the transport portal today. So does that also mean Scott Frost is leaving? Because I thought those two were attached to the hip. Adrian Martinez to Army. That would be one hell of a pairing. (laughs) Army would be undefeated. Yeah, electric. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, I mean, Nebraska did Nebraska things, and then some things broke Iowa's way, and this is why I and Wisconsin couldn't handle their business against Minnesota, embarrassingly so. I mean, but my do we God. really want to do we really want to see Michigan put a million points on Wisconsin? <laughs> Here's the thing: Wisconsin will never do this in a million years. They will never. What I'm about to say will never happen. I know that it would fundamentally change the universe as we know it. <laughs> That's a big. But man, oh man, should they go out and hire Dan Mullen as their offensive coordinator and get him to scheme some offenses? I mean, it would never happen. But they need to change dramatic changes at Wisconsin, and like it's yeah, it's it's about time because it's bad. Complacency is. I mean, they do have an all-star running back as a seventeen-year-old right now, so that at least is a bright spot in the future. But like you said, they're not. The game of football has evolved, Wisconsin. So you have to evolve too. Yeah, it's the same conversation we're having with Michigan. You got to evolve a little or die. Now this year it worked out for them. They've played within their system, but you know most years it's yeah you got to evolve or die. Evolve or die, or hire hire staff. Don't don't do the D'Antonio, which it seems like they're doing. Like just don't be loyal to someone because he's your friend and you've been coaching with them for X amount of years. Like correct. Get him out of there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no hard feelings, but this is a business, you know. Yeah. Um. All right, last game, Pitt Wake. This number has moved. I don't like it as much, but minus two and a half Pitt. Well, actually, I like it more. Actually, I apologize. Um. I don't know if you have much on this game. We were talking a little bit I before. Don't. I've got just a little. <laughs> um. I like Pitt in this one. I like Pitt because I think Wake Forest is slightly overrated. It's a great story. Love the quarterback. Fantastic story. But Kenny Pickett holds the records now at Pitt. Don't know if you knew this. One of the greatest all-time passers, clean passers of all time went to Pitt. Kenny Pickett's balling right now. And there's a Wake Forest defense that gets shredded on a weekly basis. And Pitt plays a style of defense that is very aggressive. And Wake has shown at times um, to struggle against that. So I do like Pitt here to win the ACC championship. I like Pat Nardini, and I know what I'm saying there with that, to win the ACC championship. He, most will say he's going to lay an egg, but I just I think the matchup is favorable to Pitt. I think Wake's fairy tale story comes to an end. It was a great season, but it's Pitt's game to lose. Uh, you know, Pat Narduzzi came from Michigan State, so Pitt. easy enough all righty um anything else before we wrap this up if you watch that notre dame michigan basket and we'll we'll be getting into basketball here we will it's soon when we when we switch gears but if you watch that notre dame uh a notre dame north carolina michigan game last night um (laughs) michigan has all the talent in the world but you gotta coach uh coach howard you have to coach your team um (laughs) You also the thing that is Michigan. I don't know if you if you watched any of their games. That it's a long team, like it's a huge team, and instead of going to the rack, they just shoot long jumpers, and I don't understand it. Welcome to my world of Xavier right now. Um, not as long as Michigan, but man, just a lot of three balls, which worked last night. But yeah, welcome yeah, to my world. I d- I hate teams that live and die by a three. I love a good three-pointer. Oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah, but if you're going to live and die by a three, it's going to be a long season, Michigan. 
I agree. And you came in as top four, and you've been beat by two unranked teams. Oh, yeah. Howard signed his contract extension precisely at the right time. <laughs> Coaches in the state of Michigan have been been doing that pretty pretty spot on time. <laughs> yeah, Harbaugh, Harbaugh is the only person left off. Left oh, off. Pay cut. Yeah. I think Harbaugh is about to get a, a nice little bag at some point here soon with the way this is headed. Um, oh, don't you man. worry there, Hardball. But, um, yeah, uh, college basketball has been great these last couple of weeks. I can't wait till we start talking about it in depth. Um, the ACC got crushed in the Big Ten ACC challenge. So uh, a little redemption from our Big East Gavin tip-off blunder in the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, Big 12, you're next. Big East is coming. <laughs> so we, we shall see. Uh, although I don't know if the ACC has, like, more than three teams in the tournament. We'll talk about that when we get to it. We we'll get there. Still still football season yet, but we'll get there. Um, alrighty. That'll do it for us. As always. Peace. Peace. Go dogs.